You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome back to episode two of the NIL Hotline. Galen Clavio, Olivia Clavio, joining you here on the show as we dive back into the world of name, image, and likeness. The purpose of this podcast, for those of you who missed the inaugural episode, is to talk through the things that are going on in the space right now. We'll have guests on, not today, but in future episodes where we talk about what's going on in their corner of NIL. As this continues to evolve and expand, it's going to be, I think, Something that continues to mutate over time, and, and we're actually just seeing some of that this week. Olivia, good to see you. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks so much. Yeah, good to have you back, and looking forward to chatting about this. Again, just to rehash the ground rules for everybody out there, uh, we're going to try to keep these episodes short. We're going to try to keep them topical. If you've got questions or comments, uh, we'll have ways for you to send those in in short order. At least in the meantime, you can always t- tweet at me at Dr. GC, D-O-C-T-O-R-G-C on Twitter. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Um, Olivia, we're going to start with this Arkansas name, image, and likeness law uh, on April 13th, which was only three days ago now. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the Arkansas governor, signs a law uh, into being that essentially amends what Arkansas already had on the books. Now, you know, there were several things in this that are somewhat interesting, but the big ticket item that everybody's been talking about the last couple of days is this bill allows Arkansas's higher education institutions, their foundations, uh, or other people that are able to do business on behalf of the universities to enable opportunities for athletes to earn compensation for commercial use of their publicity rights. In other words, in direct contrast to what the NCAA has advised its own schools, Arkansas is basically saying, you know, University of Arkansas, Arkansas State, Arkansas Little Rock, whoever, you have the ability to go out and essentially create, manage these relationships yourself, not force third parties to do it. When you saw that, what was your reaction? Right. And uh, as will happen in every podcast, I do have to give my quick little disclaimer <laughs> yes. that as an attorney, um, this is not legal advice. These are just my own opinions and thoughts. Do not take this as legal advice. Um, so, you know, when I saw that, I immediately thought this could get messy, but also very interesting. You know, there's obviously a, a reason for a Chinese wall between the universities and the, at this stage, collectives that have kind of been can, setting up these deals. Can, can you, just so there's there's nobody who misunderstands, can you describe the concept of a Chinese wall from a, 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 a communications perspective? Yes, okay, so a Chinese wall being that when you have um, deals that are being put into place, then you want some separation between rules relating to the university and the, um persons who are helping enforce those rules and there's been this wall for for very valid reasons right we want to make sure that we have people who are looking out for the best interests of the athletes themselves and when you have the universities or the colleges coming in and now maintaining that relationship it starts to get into a gray area of whose interests are we really looking out for? Are we looking out for the best interest of the athlete? Or is this now 
the best interest of the university, which is what started this whole thing in the first place. Yeah. So, right. It's kind of like the concept in real estate of, of a seller's agent and a buyer's agent, where, you know, if, if you don't have a separation between those two, um, then how do you, how can you be sure your real estate agent isn't actually operating on behalf of their agency who might also be, you know, selling the property that you're trying to buy. So yeah, there, it, it, there are some interesting elements here. Um, you know, I, I, part of this appears to come from a concern that because you're forcing all of the action into the hands of third parties outside of the university, that it's, there's potential for fraud. There's potential for for uh, you know people getting athletes into situations that they don't understand. Uh, you know why? So I guess where do you draw the line as far as what is an important thing to to emphasize when there doesn't seem to be a like a clear definition of what the right way to go about it is at this point? Right, and I think this is this is where you were seeing it mutates. This is the mutation, right? I think that very clearly there was going to be some state that was going to be first. And I know most states don't want to be the first and they don't want to be the last. Arkansas never seems to care about being the first on any kind of law. So I'm not really surprised that they went first on this. But I think the thought is, um, you know, these are kind of interim rules that have put put into place. And I understand Arkansas's point of view in terms of wanting to get ahead of this. You're right. There's there's always, no matter what level of sports you're in, there's always going to be the uh, fear that someone's going to get taken advantage of. And especially when you have young athletes. I will say, though, that, um, you know, previously from actually interning at the NCAA, I, I do think that some of the concern about the age of the athletes is a little bit, um, it, it, of course, they're minors, but a lot of these athletes, especially in football, basketball, they've been looked at and recruited since they were in fourth grade, yeah. fifth grade. They've been on radars since they were 10 years old. So I think that um, for those athletes, some of this is unfounded. <laughs> well, and, and they're not all minors. Um, you know, by the time they're entering into these deals, some of them are certainly, but many are not. But and as you said, you know, th there's a a kind of a maternalistic attitude on the part of the NCAA when it comes to how athletes are dealt with. Uh, you know, and a lot of that seems to have been grounded in uh, things that would happen in the '60s, '70s, into the '80s with you know the the perception that athletes were being exploited by people who were trying to launder them into institutions of higher education from an academic perspective so that they could take someone who otherwise wouldn't be qualified to play and make them eligible to play that it's a different era now first and foremost i mean uh, you know a lot of the people that you see arguing against say the transfer portal right now you'll still see these arguments from people and i don't mean to age discriminate but it's true it's mostly people over the age of 50 who have worked around college athletics or reported on it who are like well you know playing college athletics or, you know or playing college sports is it's a choice it's not you know it's, you're not required to do it and it's, you know the the implication is well you chose to get into this and you have to abide by these particular rules and and uh if you don't then you should just go do something else which completely ignores the fact that there's an intrinsic like value to the athlete as both 
an individual performer as well as just being an adult by the age of 18. I mean, we have this tendency to act like anybody who hasn't graduated from college is still a child when by the definition of the law and the way that we look at things, if you're 18, you're an adult. And actually in Arkansas now, apparently if you're like 12, you're an adult with the, with some of the child labor stuff that they passed. Mostly kidding right. there. Mostly kidding. But, um, but the point is ultimately here, um, you know, getting back to what we were talking about, there's a kind of a, there's an argument to be made on both sides of this, I think. There's an argument to say, well, look, collectives, third-party outlets do not necessarily have the direct line of access to donors and businesses that would be providing money for name, image, and likeness, and that it would be a lot more efficient and easy for college athletic departments to be able to manage some of these deals. And many of them are kind of indirectly managing a lot of these collectives as we speak. You know, they're they're meeting with them about strategy. They're connecting them with donors that they know who are then giving money to the collective and then the collective is executing the agreement. You know, so there is that argument that you know, financially, managerially, from an efficiency standpoint, there would be more expediency, especially since college athletic departments are basically just small professional athletics organizations at this point. They're, they're no, there's nothing really amateur about most of them at the highest level. Uh, but you know, the flip side though is what you talked about, which is now you're getting into a, an environment where colleges and universities. You know, for, you know and, and the NCAA of a whole have said, well, we don't want to be the ones paying the athletes. We don't want to get into that business. If that's really what you want is to not be the ones paying the athletes and writing the check, you've taken a big step towards actually being the ones doing that by having this particular law on the books. You do. And that's where it really gets messy, um, especially when you have college athletes somebody is going to sue for fraud. Someone is going to sue for some kind of a breach of contract. Um, there's, there's, you know, but that's part of what the Arkansas law is trying to prevent as well, is that no matter what happens, they don't want any liability. And I think from at least a legal perspective, I find that troubling because if you are the ones who are executing the contracts, you also should bear the liability. And it's inevitable that something's going to go wrong in a contract. So again, let's go back to that Chinese wall. That's one reason why you want that wall is now, especially when you have state institutions, you're also, you know, messing with taxes and other types of, uh, um, you know, state resources, federal resources, federal taxes. So there are many, many layers to this. And I assume this is why most states so far have really taking a step back and why even some states like Texas have put into place that, you know, for high school athletics, you have to be 18 plus, which is a different issue right now. But, right. Um, you know, well, really right now it's kind of focused on 18 plus. And just to note, I mean, this, what you just talked about is really important because look at the Jaden Rashada situation at Florida, you know, Rashada top quarterback prospect goes to Florida. He's promised a $13 million NIL deal through third parties the funding doesn't come through that falls apart he ends up decommitting he could you know you if this is a state actor you're like well that's a breach of contract i was promised something and i went there and essentially you know wasted time during the recruiting process but this arkansas law one of the things as you said uh you know it, it says that there's no liability for institutions and their employees if they 
if there's damages relating to a college athlete's uh, you know earnings on NIL. And like you said, that's a dangerous precedent because if you're going to be in charge of the deal, you probably should also be liable if the deal doesn't happen because then what's to keep you from just signing deals that can't actually be executed? I mean, if there's no liability, you can you can hand out promises like candy and then never actually write the check at the end of the day. Right. And, you know, there's different kinds of theories in here, but, um, you know, inducement to go to to a state, for example, is definitely at the top of that list. And I think what we're we're seeing, though, of course, with Arkansas is that they're 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 trying to create an easier path for their athletes. They're trying to control the situation, both of which I understand. But at the same time, I think it's going to put the athletes in an interesting position because do they go with a university that's going to broker those deals or do they they go outside to try to find that? And um, that's something I guess we'll have to just kind of monitor, monitor and see, because I do think that I think that states are going to continue to be cautious about this. My guess is that most states are engaged in some type of um, study workshop to see how these NIL deals are progressing. They're going to be discussing it with athletes. They're going to be monitoring how this moves forward. So probably in the year 2025, we might start to see more movement towards more robust and uh, bold moves by universities. Yeah. Arkansas just decided to go ahead and nail that down. It's going to be interesting. And, and obviously, I mean, the, the last big piece of this that I wanted to tackle is this idea that, that you know, universities in Arkansas can't be punished by the NCAA for doing the NIL deals, which, again, it's like, I mean, if you're the NCAA, you could punish Arkansas anyway, but then it ends up in the court system. And now you've got another court case that essentially directly challenges the NCAA's ability to enforce its own rules among its own members, which is always, to me, the funniest part of anything related to enforcement in the NCAA. If you're the NCAA, like, how do you handle that? Because this is a direct attack on your ability to set the rules of engagement from a business perspective around NIL. Right. So we could see an action you know, from the NCAA against Arkansas. Um, and that on the NCAA side, their investigation, of course, into these deals is going to be radically different than how they used to investigate. Um, you know, as when I worked there, I worked in major enforcement in the basketball unit. And so I saw firsthand how how they conducted their investigations. And they were all very, very passionate about making sure that athletes weren't illegally recruited. And I know the NCAA does catch a lot of a flack, but I will say that everybody there did have the same goal, which was to protect the athletes. So I really do think that the NCAA will look at this from a perspective of how are we how are we going to protect the athlete? And um, they've never had a problem with punishing an institution. They've never had a problem with investigating people that they believe are violating their rules, are uh, inducing athletes into uh, deals that may hurt them. So I think I, I think it's very possible that we could see that. And they very well could decide we're going to stop this right away and we don't want other schools to go on this path. And by doing so, 
I think they would definitely stop other schools at this point. I think other schools, if they do have, you know, potential legislation or other states have legislation, I think that they will probably take a step back and wait to see how any kind of court case, um, you know, plays out. Yeah, it'll be really interesting. I mean, I, I would not like to be in the NCAA shoes in that situation, though, because uh, that, uh, as I always have to explain to people, and, and you and I have talked about this a bunch, it's it's kind of gotten into the vernacular when like there's recruiting violations or there's violations of NCAA rules. People will say, oh, such and such school broke the law. It's like, no, no, they broke the rules that the NCAA and its member schools have agreed to, but there's nothing legally enforceable. There's no subpoena power for investigators. There's no, you can't force a school into court. And, you know, as we saw with North Carolina and others, you can just basically go in and say, no, we're not going to accept this punishment. And there's not always a lot that can be done uh, on the part of the NCAA. They really have relied historically on schools kind of laying down when punishments have been metered out rather than fighting them in court. And so in this case, I think you get into a whole other realm, which is this idea of schools like and legislatures. And it's important, again, the schools aren't passing the legislation. The legislatures are. But the, the political apparatus in – or apparatuses, I'm not actually sure which one's, which one's proper there uh, – in these different states do not want their state institutions to be at a disadvantage against state institutions that they perceive to be rivals. And so – you know, the idea that Arkansas is going to do this and essentially provide, uh, you know, legal liability protections and oversight to its schools for NIL deals, that's not going to sit well with Mississippi lawmakers, with Louisiana lawmakers, with Texas lawmakers, because now it's like, well, we can't let Arkansas have this advantage, <laughs> these two advantages, basically. That's going to be something that somebody's going to probably try to do something about. So that's where I'm the most interested in how all this plays out. Right, right. And I think going back to what you're saying about the NCAA enforcing their rules, I mean, the big reason why schools complied was because they did not want a punishment. They didn't want the publicity surrounding it. They didn't want a championship taken away or to not be eligible for tournaments. That meant a lot of lost revenue. But I think that that scare tactic has now been removed. So it re I really think it will be interesting to see how this moves forward. But yes, there's a lot of competitiveness between the states. And I think something that everybody else has to keep in mind is that you know, we live in a, you know, a country that has 50 different states and 50 different laws. And those laws are going to be applied differently. And we've got different bodies within the legislatures that are going to want to pass certain rules. And um, that's going to make for an uneven application of rules around the country yeah it's a complicated seen that yeah so. it's, a, it's a complicated scene that don't be a lot of people don't really fully understand because of this beautiful and unique legal system that we have in the united states and and uh, how different it is from so many other places anyway that's going to wrap it up for us as we've hit time we will be back later on this week with more nil info and analysis olivia good to see you as always hope that your day goes very well Thanks, you too. Thanks to all you folks for listening in. Be sure to check out the rest of the shows on the Back Home Network. For Olivia, I'm Galen Clavio. This is the NIL Hotline. We'll catch you folks on the flip side. So long, everybody.